0: Out of mischief now Really I'm in love and how I'm through playing with fire It's you whom I desire All the world can plainly see You're the only one for me To all my vows cause I'm keeping up
1: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 9th, 2023. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Listeners only have two days. Count them one, two before July 11th at noon to 1.15 PM, where Peter is going to be teaching a master class, um, on my fair lady. And that's one noon to 1.15 Eastern time. So Mm -hmm. calculate whatever time, uh, whatever time zone that you are in. And if you can, in fact, make July 11th, then July 18th. The following week on uh, noon to 115, Pete, Peter's going to be teaching a different masterclass on Camelot. Uh, and so uh, those are all through the Broadway Ma- Maven, and we have links to that in the show notes. So uh, Peter, very exciting for 25 bucks to be able to sit down and, uh, and chat for uh, a little while about two classics
2: two classics indeed and it's been great fun researching all this because uh, it's been a while since i've seen the my fair lady movie and the pygmalion movie mm. uh, which of course owes uh, uh <laughs> alan j Lerner and fred Lowe uh owed a great deal to that pygmalion movie more than they owed to the actual pygmalion play but that's another story that comes up on tuesday
1: these master classes are limited to 99 participants, so get in early. Don't get locked out. Well, and Peter, we have... if
3: you're going to do one on, on Hamelot, it's too bad you didn't do it earlier. So the director and the book writer of the current production couldn't have attended.
2: <laughs> you know, I
1: think I was... he still can attend. You know?
3: <laughs> I was
2: thinking the other day, you know, I think his movie, An American President, would make a phenomenal musical, yeah. much better than Mr. President. But I have a feeling he's not going to be that interested in Broadway anymore.
1: I, I don't know about that. Yeah,
3: yeah, I don't know about that either. Well, I hope
1: <laughs> uh, he he, I he hope has a long, right. long history of interest in Broadway. You yes, know, he even does. Even though he has a, he's yes, made he his, does. he's made his bones in film and television. Aaron Sorkin, but uh, he, re, I think he adores the, you know, theater. And
3: also, uh, he's been quite successful until this. Um,
2: yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a few good men, certainly. Yeah, no question.
3: And to and uh, to kill a mockingbird was a yes, phenomenal. that's success. true. That's yeah.
2: true. Even though uh, he took his lumps on that, um, some from you, in fact, Michael. Right?
3: Yeah, but it yeah. was <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right. But it was a tremendous success. Yes, it was as, as financially mm. and uh, you yeah, know, in that's terms fair. Of long yeah. run and around the country. And yes, that's fair. Still playing around the country, right? Well, I want yeah. you guys to be right.
1: <laughs> but I, you know, I, I you know, it, my experience with Aaron Sorkin is, is very, very limited. But uh, from what I can gather, uh, uh, you know, even even when he gets the highest of high accolades, he he still feels as though he's failed. Uh, oh, interesting. So, yeah, and um, so I, I don't think this is a discouragement <laughs> to him. You know, getting his lumps, he just takes that all the time.
2: Mm, that could very well be, uh I know what you're talking about when you say um that um that that type of personality uh, yes, I do know what you mean, and um i I've in fact even seen it firsthand, so anyway, so we shall see what we shall see, yes, But I want but, you guys to be right,
1: but uh you know Broadway maven maven two uh master classes from Peter July eleventh and July eighteenth noon to one fifteen Eastern time. There's links in the show notes. Click on those and sign up if you'd like. That other voice that joined us a second ago is Michael Bortantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. And Michael, just uh, after the master classes wrap up on July 24th, you have Jerry Orbach's Broadway uh, with uh, William Michaels and J. Ober Jones and more at 54 Below. So, how's that coming?
3: It's going really well, and it's selling really well. I'm happy to say. Uh, uh, our third member of our core company is Nikita Burstein, by the way, and they're all oh. they've all been doing just really, really, really well in rehearsal. We had a rehearsal the other day. Uh, William and Nikita are going to be doing, um, among other things. I can see it from the Fantastics, and I was reminded what a phenomenal <laughs> score that is in general, and and that song in particular. It's just, it's. Uh, in fact, when we finished rehearsing it, uh, Matthew Ward, our our musical director and accompanist, said, "Now that's a show tune." To- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and is. then and then william uh rehearsed uh her face from carnival which i i believe he said he has done that the whole role yes and uh it is i mean just hearing him sing that is <laughs> i would say it's going to be worth the price of admission alone so i really don't think um i really don't think anyone who attends this will be disappointed
2: by the way michael um do you know about the book that was published of the notes that jerry orbeck used to write to
3: his wife Yes. Um, yeah. And in fact, I think it's in my apartment somewhere. <laughs> 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 I got it when it came out, and uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's it's lovely, very lovely. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, a, he used to write a, a new note love letter. Yeah, uh, yeah, a note a day, wasn't it? Right, yeah, I, I, he uh, would leave notes on the pillow. Is that where? it yeah, was? Yeah, that or? sounds right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he left one. Whoever whoever finds this, I love you. Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But the, as 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 opposed to that famous note in The Odd Couple, we're all out of yes, cornflakes. Right. F you. Right. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, a lot of people say
2: that, that that he named Felix Unger Felix Unger just so he could get in that joke. Right. No, no. If you read <laughs> "Come Blow Your Horn," his first uh, Broadway. Oh yes. Play, yes, Felix Unger is mentioned as a character who lives upstairs, so it does predate that. So if you really thought that he was manipulating uh, the name. Of the character, no, that came later. The F.U.
1: So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't watch much TV. I, I understand that we've talked about that before, but there was this uh, this television series called House of Cards, mm. uh, and uh, Frank Underwood was the main character, and uh, he had cufflinks that said F.U. on them. Ah, uh. <laughs> and, and he was uh, he was a Washington insider, and. Uh. I don't want to spoil anything, even though the series is many, many years old. But uh, he's a very powerful person in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was a very funny joke that they made all the time about F.U. Right. (laughs) So Michael's show, Jerry Orbrox Broadway, is uh, July 24th. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, A little housekeeping here. We had... uh, we had sort of a vacation week here at Broadway Radio, but uh we still wanted to let our listeners listen to as much as possible. So we had not one but two shows by Jan Simpson this week in the feed. One was uh the public release of her All the Drama 2014 Pulitzer Prize winner, The Flick by Annie Baker. We just talked about that. Uh, also Jan had, uh, the summer reading list, uh, where, with an interview with Robert W. Schneider about his book, 50 Key Stage Musicals. And, uh, Felicia and Portantier were, were mentioned often in this, uh, interview <laughs> this week. Uh, Robert Schneider is a big fan of Broadway Radio and a big fan of both of yours, just in case you didn't know. God love him. So, uh, also, um, uh, Matt and Ashley and Grace talked about theater camp in a review roundtable episode. The, uh, the 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 Ben Ben Platt movie is is I it's a Ben Platt movie, isn't theater camp a Ben Platt movie? Well, he's <laughs> in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they talked about theater camp. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Matt talked with Ricky Rojas on his type of weird. Uh, he talked with Jessica Vosk, who's out starring in the Muni's chess. Mm-hmm. And she talked about chess Muni and there's some, uh, some rehearsal audio there. So get over and listen to that. And then, uh, Matt and Jen talked about, uh, some like at Pop of oh, the first half of 2023, their stuff. So there was a ton of stuff in the, in this week's, uh, In this week's feed for Broadway Radio, even though everybody had the week off, we really had a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff to listen to as well. Mm -hmm. So first up in our reviews, uh, Peter, you got over to the Irish Arts Center to see good vibrations. So tell us about this.
2: Well, first off, the Irish Arts Center um, hasn't been on 11th Avenue that long. They built a brand new theater, very handsome, stadium seating, um, I guess about 200, 250 seats maybe. And by the way, everyone was taken on the night I went. In fact, when I asked to go on a certain night, they said, no, not tonight. Could you go tomorrow? Yes, indeed, I could, and I did. So it's a big hit that they have here in Good Vibrations, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the Beach Boys whatsoever. Nothing, Um, even though there's a Mm -hmm. famous song by that name, by the Beach Boys. No, this is about um, Terry Hooley. Um, Terry is T-E-R-R-I, even though uh, that's usually um, the name that a a, a woman takes. Uh, This is a guy. And um, as a little kid... His eye was poked out, um, like by a kid shooting an arrow at him, and um, so he really had one eye and still does. I mean, he's still alive; he's uh, seventy-four at the moment. But um, I'm I'm surprised not more is made of this. Uh, it seems like the the kid got away with um poking out the guy's eye. I never heard anything on on stage about uh, reparations or anything like that. But anyway, um, he he was growing up in Belfast and um got interested in music. And- and certainly got interested in punk music and decided to start his own label, which you call good vibrations. It's not made clear if indeed um, he was influenced by the uh, Beach Boys song to call it that. But anyway, I, I, I would assume that, had, but that's not said anyway. Um, it's a very, very compelling story about a guy who really um, was fighting the odds to start his own record label, which is not an easy thing to do, needless to say. So, But he, he was um, meeting some bands, and he thought they were good, and he thought they were worth um, dealing with. He started, actually, with a record shop, which, again, isn't even starting your own business isn't an easy thing to do either, but um, starting the record shop and then hearing bands, and so he became very successful for a while. Of course, what always happens in situations like this, not unlike um, a beautiful noise. Um, there's marriage, and there's a kid, and the wife who's saying, "Where are you?" and all that kind of stuff. That happens as time goes on, too, uh, in the second act, um, inevitably. And um, it is about the rise and fall of this um, organization, and um, and how the punk scene uh, did seem to die out, and um, so indeed did, um, so indeed did uh, the good vibrations label and store and all that goes with that. But I'm telling you the writing of the book really was very very solid and I was very very impressed by uh, the nature of it I will say that there's a sequence that's almost as long as the one in 1776 where there's no music whatsoever hmm. and um, I'm sure a lot of uh, people who know my taste in music will say that must have been very good for you uh, because you didn't have to listen to punk rock music um, I- I'll tell you you know, I, I really was uh, taken um, with the music I'm not sure because here's another show that doesn't give you playbills and i haven't um gone on the um done the what i need to do to get a playbill electronically uh i'm not sure if these are existing songs or if this is a score written for the show i have a feeling they're existing songs But, um, considering that, um, music has gotten, uh, more difficult for me to listen to, uh, this almost sounded like, um, mainstream stuff to me. So, um, so I didn't find it oppressive at all. And, um, I even found my foot tapping, um, from time to time. So, uh, so I liked it quite a bit. And, um, I really think that, uh, there should be, There should be a future for this show, especially, you know, really, here's this theater on 11th Avenue. Is there another theater on 11th Avenue? Not that I know of. Um, (laughs) Can you guys think of one?
1: No,
3: no. Uh, The uh, new um, MCC is close, but.
2: Right. That's that's 10th. Yeah. 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 I mean, so and it's really quite wonderful that uh, this is happening because. Um, usually when the theater starts up, then of course, um, restaurants and what have you, you know, need to, uh, get in there. And, um, and so this might really change the neighborhood and that would really be, um, quite wonderful too. I would like to see that happen, needless to say. So, um, so all things considered, um, I really have to say that this is a, 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 a surprisingly, surprisingly good show for, uh, this is something that um i I went to thinking um I have a feeling I'm not going to have a good time at this um you know I have to go because of um you know drama desk and theater world and uh even Cheetah Rivera consideration. I'm on those panels um Michaellamthe excellent, excellent in keeping the show going terrific performance, terrific so uh as Terry needless to say, everybody else is good too. I was really um quite amused by um uh, an actress named Christina Nelson, not Christine Nielsen, but Christina Nelson, who um is no kid and yet she had to play um uh, punk rocker in, in in certain scenes. she also played his mother I mean you know so but mm-hmm. uh, she really made a very good adjustment a very good adjustment indeed in going from one character to the next. And it uh, was very convincing. Uh, she didn't seem as old as the mother when she was playing in the punk rock scenes. <laughs> so I liked that quite a bit. Yeah. I, th- I, I thought this was a worthwhile endeavor and um, a, a delightful surprise to me.
1: All right, Peter, I did check it out. It is existing music. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, uh, music from Hank Williams, 90, the observer, the Shangri-Lars love small faces, the outcast, Rudy, Fran O'Toole, The Undertones, The Jam, The Undertones, Protex, Rudy, uh, Susie and the Banshees, The Teddy Bears, Stiff Hmm. Little Fingers, The Outcasts. Uh, It's funny you mentioned The
2: Teddy Bears because, yes, uh, (laughs) I'm old enough to have uh, been in the first wave of uh, rock and roll, as we called it then. We didn't call it rock. We called it rock and roll. I wonder if the next generation of rock will be called Enroll. I've always wondered that. But anyway, uh-huh. um, yes, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. A song by the teddy bears in the fifties does mm-hmm. <laughs> show up late in the show. So, uh, that one I did recognize. So, uh, mm.
1: yeah. So, uh, yeah, they have, uh, about a, about a week left. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I have a link to the show, Good Vibrations, a punk rock musical at the Irish Arts Center through July 16th. The link is in the show notes, so check it out uh, when you get a chance. Um, Peter, we're going to change gears a little bit here. Yeah. And we're going to go from reviewing a show to reviewing a book, which you're uh, you're intruding there on on Jan Simpson's territory. But we'll give you oh, the, am I? <laughs> uh, what would they call it? A special dispensation? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so you read Ethan Warden's new book, *Gaze on Broadway*. So tell us about it.
2: Oh, of course, I read Ethan Warden's new book. I read every new book by Ethan Warden uh, the moment it comes out. Um, as I've often said. But I think he's the best of us all when it comes to writing about uh, Broadway and uh, musical theater. So this is about um, both um, straight plays and um, musical theater. So um, terrific book, Um, really charting the history of um, (laughs) what it was like way back when. I didn't know there was something called the Wales Padlock Law. Uh, Senator uh, Wales, uh, back in 1912, uh, was very upset about such plays as God of Vengeance, which we saw not that long ago off-off-Broadway, and um, passed legislation that if indeed a theater put on a show that um, his committee and he thought obscene, the theater would have to be closed down for a year. Isn't that something? Um, So uh, needless to say, theater owners um, definitely uh, uh, (laughs) erred on the side of caution and did a lot of self-censorship to make sure that wouldn't um, happen. So uh, that's one of the first things you read in the book, and um, it's pretty impressive. But, of course, um, I was was really impressed when um, he made a quip about, uh, even my aunt Agnes would feel a certain way about certain things. And I, I asked him, um, do you really have an aunt Agnes? And in fact, he does. <laughs> you know, so, um, there are a lot of nuggets in here that are just delicious. Um, Tom Tryon, who turned out to be, um, a novelist of, um, gothic type horror novels was actually in Wish You Were Here back in 1952. Who knew? In Little Abner, they actually hired professional bodybuilders, uh, for the scene where the, um, the dog patch, um, Namby Pamby guys uh, were turned into something um, stronger. I didn't know that they were professional bodybuilders. They actually went out and got those. I just thought they were actors, but no, not at all. He talks about a very gay line in By Jupiter, which is really something. He talks about how much um, gayer Cabaret has become in um, the years that have passed, (laughs) and he's quite right about that. Uh, He talks about Golden Apple a great deal uh, because John Latouche, who was a very out guy um, in a time when people weren't, um, and how great that musical was and why it didn't score so well at encores. You know, as, as he says too, you know, times have changed and this, this is the cult musical of all cult musicals. It's simply too smart for the mass audience to take in comfortably because you really have to know a great deal about, um, uh, mythology to really, 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 really appreciate it. I love what he said about Candide. It has been revised so often that it is now virtually a Franken show.
0: <laughs> spare parts.
2: <laughs> I think that's terrific. He talked about chorus line that Paul and um, the chorus line had the outstanding solo number that isn't a song. And that's really true. You know, that's when the music stopped and certainly he took over. So um, he talks about a wonderfully suggestive lyric and too good for the average man and on your toes. And, and um <laughs> I'll give you three guesses. Oh, no, I'll reduce it to two. what word and company the time changed um, as time went on. Oh, right. One of the, yeah, you're right. I, yeah. You, you, you didn't even need one guess. Um, but anyway, he, he, he talks about uh, – he has a nice way of um, judging the reasoning why in 1970 – Sondheim chose the the, um, the word that he chose. So, by the way, if you've ever been confused—and who hasn't—about what's the ultimate definition of a concept musical, and Lord knows there have been so many um, explanations of that one, he comes up with—I um, think—what has to be the definitive answer. Oh, well, back to Company. Um, uh, he, he, he he said one of the um, surprising things about it for a show in 1970. I mean, any musical comedy about a guy and his friends and his dates usually is a lot of fun. And then he gets married, you know, and so company was very different in not doing that. You know, so, you know, so many people have referred to Bobby as a cipher. Now, this is an example of what a great wordsmith Ethan Wooden is. You know, he could have used that term. We were all used to it. Robert in the muse is the musical's unfinished symphony. Oh, I think that's great. So, uh, he talks about the fact that put on your Sunday clothes and hello, Dolly could have a gay reading. Uh, that villa on a hill from Grant Hotel is a lovely ballad that was nothing less than a lesbian love song, which is certainly true. A funny, funny, um, <laughs> way of talking about Betty Davis leaving two's company, the review she did in 1952. Um, how, of all people, Oscar Hammerstein got in a gay joke in Pipe Dream. Maybe that's one of the reasons why it's the shortest running um, Rodgers and Hammerstein show. Who knows? Um, a funny quip about Promenade, an off-Broadway musical from 1969, which actually played at the Promenade Theater. Um, and I, I think I remember be hearing at the time that um the name of the show influenced the theater not the other way around but um I'm not sure about that. Um he goes to bat for an old fashioned love song in a wild party which is uh, certainly uh, the Andrew Lippa wild party which is one of the songs where i 'm telling you fourteen seconds into it, I wanted to start applauding then um, I, I i couldn't I loved every second of it, but waiting for it to end was almost torture because I wanted to applaud so hard because um, <laughs> it was just so great so um, so ethan 's still busy he has a, a a book coming out called stonewall boys it 's only going to be on Amazon. Um, but uh, that's coming out um, uh, soon, and uh, you, you should check that out because really he is a marvelous stylist, just tremendous. And um, this book was such a wonderful pleasure that I'm so glad that I got to read it sooner rather than later.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's quite the recommendation. And Ethan Morden is such a interesting, interesting writer. Mm. I, you know, I have to double back and try to get him back on Broadway Radio I tried again in the past and our schedules have not lined up. So uh, Sunday morning's tough for people. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, um, if you don't know his series, ranging from the 20s all the way up to the end of the 20th century, maybe a little beyond. Um, a volume on the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, 70s, and then uh, one summing up the rest of the um, century. Look them up. They're phenomenal. Phenomenal.
1: All right. So, uh, Michael, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this uh, Alan Menken, uh performing Sheridan Square at the uh, Tribute of 54 Below. So tell us about this.
3: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, arguably it's uh, a good segue from Gaze on Broadway, uh, although it's not specifically about that. But I uh, came across someone posted a YouTube video of Alan performing this song just very recently at 54 Below. There was a tribute to um, Alan and Howard Ashman. And Alan himself came to sing a song called Sheridan Square uh, that was written during the height of the AIDS crisis. And it's a very moving song. Um, And Alan plays and sings it and, and credit to him for getting through it because of course, Howard Ashman himself died of AIDS. Uh, Although Howard, uh, Alan says um, in introducing his performance that he did not know at the time that they wrote the song that, Howard had already been diagnosed as HIV wow. positive. Wow. Um and so it's uh I urge you to just click on that link and, and take in this performance. It's really a wonderful song and quite moving. Um uh, I mean it would be moving even if <laughs> even if uh, Howard hadn't died of AIDS, but but it, but that gives it just an extra level of poignancy. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so we have a, a link to Playbill, which has got the video uh, in there. It, it's so it, it starts off with uh, Alan talking a little bit uh, about um, about his time uh, right. with Howard Ashman. Yeah, and then then the song. So please get over in there and check it out. Um. Peter, one of our other favorite Peters, Peter Marks at the Washington Post, uh, wrote an article uh, that is uh, from earlier this week that is called Theater is in Free Fall and the Pandemic is the Only Thing to Blame. So tell us about this article.
2: Well, what I really want to talk about is the fact that um, he mentions that so many theaters are in, in- in terrible trouble around the nation, and we certainly spoke earlier about the Mark Taper Forum. And we recently learned about the Looking Glass Theater, uh, Mary Zimmerman's Theater in Chicago, having trouble too. And um, a lot of shows, uh, a lot of theaters cutting back on the number of shows they're doing. And at the risk of being presumptuous, um, I'd like to make a suggestion about this because I'll tell you what I've noticed as time has gone on. Whenever I've mentioned a show to people um, who are casual theater goers. There's almost an indignance in the way um, they answer me when they say, I never heard of that. Almost um, in the same <laughs> in the same way The Wicked Witch of the West says, I wouldn't hear of it. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how, and I think we're in a, a situation now where um, the new play movement, which of course we need new plays, of course we do, but I think that so many theaters are putting on new plays because you know if you put on Our Wilderness and it runs four weeks, that's the end of it. If you put on a new play, there's always a chance that somebody's going to pick it up, take it to Broadway, and you're going to get money from that. You're going to share in the revenue. That's part of the deal that happens in so many regional theaters, and I understand that. But the point is, I think we're in a time where people need to see plays that ring a bell with them. I'll never forget um, when... um, Paper Mill announced its new season. This is like 20 years ago, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, the point is they said they were doing the Sound of Music. And I can't tell you how many people in the lobby were saying, oh, we're going to be able to see Sound of Music. And they were excited about it. I mean, I think that there is something about recognizable titles. And this brings me to Wayne Bryan in Wichita, which um, he's not there anymore. He re- he's retired. But as he always said to me, I can do one Maverick show a season. They'll let me do that. They'll indulge me in that way, but the other four or five I do have to be named as they know. They'll trust me on one, but they wouldn't trust me on five new ones or even two new ones. I really don't think that that would um, uh, serve me very well or them very well. So I think for the moment, it may be a good idea for these regional theaters to have more recognizable titles for a couple of years and get the audience back because they'll say, oh, I want to see that as opposed to what is it that may be the answer i'm not uh, look who says i have all the answers but it my experience i really do think that there are there's an audience for um older plays and another thing too i remember when my late great friend david wolf was working for telecharge he said what i've learned from talking to these people on the phone people want to laugh that's what they want to do. Mm. They want to go out and have a good time. So maybe some of the, for, for the next couple of years, I am not saying now and forever. I am only saying for the next couple of years, maybe it's a good idea to do recognizable titles that are comedies and get the audience back in that way. And then throw in a new play every now and then, just as Wayne Bryan did. And, um, it may be the formula on how theater can come back. Maybe.
3: I would absolutely agree that that's a large part of the answer. Um uh another thing you can do is if there is going to be a new play it helps if it's about a historical figure that the audience knows uh, things mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. I think uh, it's a stereotype but I think it you know stereotypes often yeah. tend to be true, <laughs> true yeah. that mm-hmm. that um you know that there it was uh and less of it now this uh theater going audience in new york uh that were that would be up for anything uh, Mm um you know Mm -hmm. uh and i i and i think it's true that the general public uh whether in the metropolitan area or in iowa you know um Mm -hmm. is just not doesn't think in quite the same way so it's only natural that uh familiarity is something that they look for. Uh, uh, something that they already know that they like. it, And especially now, more than in the past, because ticket prices are much higher than the new <clears standard.
0: throat> So
3: I, I completely agree with that, Peter. Uh, okay, good. Thanks. Uh,
1: so the uh, uh, this is not just a one-off thing. Uh, I just wanted to point out to our listeners that We'll talk. So, this article uh, uh, by Peter Marks is from the Washington Post, and in the Chicago Tribune, we have Looking Glass Theater will pause shows, lay off staff. Uh, We talked about the Mark Taper Forum a couple of weeks ago, and the Los Angeles Times articles: uh, shocking closure at the L.A. Mark Taper Forum reflects a crisis at regional theaters nationwide. our friend Charles McNulty at the Los Angeles Times then wrote a follow-up uh, earlier this week that the theater going habit is broken how do venues get people back in the seats and lots of people are ringing the ringing the bell of alarm uh right here and uh i think that every idea is a good idea we have to start trying something because we are in a crisis in yeah, uh,
2: and and you know the other thing too um <laughs> In terms of that out of the theater going habit, I don't think that's it. I really think it's a case that they don't want to see what they don't want to see. Mm,
3: yeah, and and I almost forgot to mention, uh, as I told you guys earlier, I'm going to see Greece at the Argyle Theater in, in Babylon, Long Island mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And as uh, we've discussed before, they have had a, a happily a, a huge turnaround, uh, and it seems precisely because they've been doing more well known titles in uh in recent months and and uh seasons uh, i i saw for example on the other hand i i saw their excellent excellent productions of uh spring Awakening and several other less familiar titles although that's you know not that's not unknown but i mean they did they did uh, for heaven's sake they did here's love didn't they uh you know uh, (laughs) and uh there there were lots and lots of empty seats but when i went to see west side story it was full and i'm pretty sure it's going to be full for greece today so uh just more evidence to support what peter is saying and it it, you know it, it is maybe it's unfortunate um that that so many people are hesitant to try out new things, but light, that's just a fact of life. And there are mm-hmm. ways to, uh, as Wayne Bryan said, uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you have the the base uh, that that you have people coming in droves to see Greece and mm-hmm. Side Story, then you can do Here's Love. Mm-hmm.
2: You know? mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget, Here's Love was called Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street.
3: So. Oh, right, and that still did, and that <laughs> still didn't help when they did it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, I've, I, I've been in a little back and forth over the last uh, week or so with some folks on, on Facebook about this topic and, and, uh, uh, and it started out, the topic started out as, you know, Broadway ticket prices are too expensive. And, you know, uh, mm, they compared yeah. Broadway, they, they compared, you know, Broadway ticket prices. Uh, I forget who what they compared it with, but it was something sports that did, a new car. I, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> well, they didn't. Uh, uh, they compared it against something that I, I felt like was out of the category, and I compared it to sports events. I'm like,
3: oh yeah, you know, uh-huh. if you
1: go, a Yankee <laughs> ticket, a Met ticket, a New York Giants, New York Jets tickets, a Knicks and the Nets tickets, a Rangers, and Islanders yeah, tickets. We're all talking right. three, four, five, six hundred dollars sure, a seat. Sure, sure, and. You know, I said in, in many cases, a a Broadway ticket could be, you know, much, much less than that. You know, certainly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some of the Broadway premium tickets are crazy expensive as well. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but if you can, if you know, you compare these things, that's one thing. Then the, uh, the conversation evolved to, uh, regional theaters and things like that. Uh, and I said, well, you know, uh, if there were government support for theater in the way that government supports, uh, sports, then, uh, I think you would see more, more, uh, younger people taking an interest in theater. And I am not saying, and I will repeat, I am not saying that they should cut back on support for sports. I think sports is very important and has its role. But if you spent the same amount of dollars, dollar for dollar on the arts, as you did on Mm -hmm. sports, Mm -hmm. you give the other half of the students Mm -hmm. in the school an ability to express themselves. Just Mm -hmm. as a lot of people express themselves through sports and athletics, that's Mm -hmm. great. But some Mm -hmm. people want to go into the fine arts, some Mm want to go into dance, some want to go into theater or chorus Mm -hmm. or band, but we don't spend that money equally. Mm -hmm. Uh, and And I think that, that is, you know, a, if failure of government and local – it's really local government and because it's, mm-hmm. it's not a federal thing. It's, you know, state and local governments get to, you know, do the school budgeting.
2: Well, so, in terms of the nation, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts, we hear all the time, yeah. I'm endangered, it's not going to happen, they're going to get rid of it. Oh, good, it's been saved, but um, usually with um, less money than before, so – um, you know, let's, let's all do the best we can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So somebody who I going to go out on a limb here and say, saved a lot of theater
0: mm-hmm. is
1: Jack Goldstein. Yeah. Uh, and Jack passed away this week at the age of 74. Michael sent along a, a great article. So Michael, let's uh, tell us a little bit about Jack.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I did not. I'll confess, I did not know a lot about him. I I, I don't think he was um so much in the forefront uh, in terms of self uh, promotion. Prom- exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's somebody who did it without mm-hmm. having to always stand up and say, you know, that was me. Yeah. But it talk about. Uh, if this happens sometimes if someone, if you have the right person in the right place at the right time, they can make an enormous difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so over 30 years, this is quoting from the, this wonderful, uh, obit in the New York Times by Richard Sandemir. Uh, over 30 years, Mr. Goldstein established himself as an effective behind the scenes player on Broadway. He was the executive director of the nonprofit Save the Theaters which was formed to prevent the future destruction of playhouses. He was an executive at Actors Equity Association and with the uh, the Theater Development Fund where he initiated the design competition that led to the creation of a new TKTS discount ticket booth in Duffy Square, topped with a dramatic cascade of 27 ruby red structural glass steps that rises above West 47th Street. Uh, Mr. Goldstein arrived in Manhattan in the spring of 1982 during a difficult financial period for Broadway and around the time of the wrenching demolition of the Helen Hayes and Morosco Theaters, the most distinctive of the five theaters between West 45th and 46th Streets on Broadway that were leveled to make way for the towering New York Marriott Marquis Hotel. And by the way, there's a Heartbreaking photo in this obit of the, oh, isn't there? Of the Hayes Theater in the midst oh. of its demolition. Oh. Um, the sites of the Hayes and Morosco Theaters had become the center of protests by actors, playwrights, and others until the wrecking balls began swinging that March. Mr. Goldstein told a conference at the Skyscraper Museum in Manhattan in 2014, the destruction in the center of Broadway of beloved, important, and from the actor's point of view, irreplaceable instruments of their art form and communication was an affront. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Goldstein, who had a background in historic preservation, was initially a volunteer for the committee to Save the Theaters, which had been formed by Actors' Equity. He soon shifted to join and then run to its spinoff organization, Save the Theaters. Um, he said, since it was clear that the city no longer recognized the value of the Broadway Theaters... Uh, number one on the agenda was to bring to bear whatever legal disincentives to demolition were available and apply them to the historic theaters. Uh, for six years, Mr. Goldstein and other preservationists helped forge a solution which focused on getting protection for as many theaters as possible from the city's Landmarks Preservation Commission. Uh, and it goes on and on. Uh, and in 1987, the commission designated 28 theaters as landmarks, some for their exteriors, some for their interiors, some for both. The sale of the Mark Hellinger Theater to a church in 1991 brought the group to 27. The city's Board of Estimate, a powerful governing body at the time, approved the designations in March 1988. So who knows, Um, you know. Which uh, of those theaters might also have been no longer with us if it not was not for Jack Goldstein?
2: Mm, mm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I never shook hands with him either, Michael. Um, but yeah. I had only heard his name in passing. But yeah, I had no idea he was as important as he was until I read that obit. Right. Exactly.
3: Mm, mm. It's
1: you know it, it's so amazing how much you know. You think of the three of us. Who have, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, got collective thousand years in theater. Yeah, <laughs> and there are still people that are really like major uh, pillars of the community. Mm-hmm. That without them, Broadway would be so different. Mm-hmm. And and there's parts of this uh, community we have not even touched yet.
3: That's right. It's Absolutely,
1: really, it's mm-hmm. really really amazing and wonderful.
3: And on top of all of that, that I just said, then there is the fact that um, that if it wasn't for him, we we might not have the current TKTs booth, which mm-hmm. you can't really yeah. even call a booth anymore. It's a <laughs> magnificent. Uh, I mean, that that structure has become so iconic in the, in the middle of Duffy Square. Uh, um
2: one of my most faithful readers, who um, I'm telling you, would would email me like four seconds after every. Every article I ever wrote, um, Albert Koenig, who was a, a high school teacher in New Jersey, always used to say to me, you've got to go to the top of those steps and um, <laughs> yeah, you just have no idea. And I say, yeah, 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 one of these days I will. Um, Albert died a few weeks ago um, unexpectedly um, I, as I see it. I mean, I, I he never told me he was ill or anything like that. No. But I haven't done it. I think that's what I'm going to do this afternoon in tribute
3: to oh, him. I'm I'm glad oh, that that's those steps
2: I'm glad that those um that article mentioned the steps. Um so uh that's that's how I'm gonna spend my afternoon.
3: Well you can do that as a tribute to mm-hmm. both Albert and Mr. And Jack, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh we've had uh Uh, A number of passings in the last couple of days and, Mm. uh, Jeffrey Carlson, very young, 48 years old, uh, uh, passed away. We're just starting to hear of it. Uh, I read about it on Facebook. Adam Feldman had posted it Mm. last night. Uh, Michael wanted to say some words.
3: Well, just to denote it, I mean, it's quite shocking. There's no further information, uh, at, at the current time on cause or, or, or whatever. Uh, Many of our listeners will know Jeffrey from his performance in Edward Albee's The Goat Mm -hmm. uh, and or in the uh, short-lived musical Taboo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember seeing him. He gave a wonderful performance in an off-Broadway play called Last Easter. That starred V. Ann Cox. Did either of you guys see that?
2: That doesn't ring a bell. No. Oh, it no. was
3: a wonderful play. Uh Cox played a, a character who, with a terminal illness. Wow. And uh, Jeffrey had a wonderful supporting role in that. And I also was reminded that he's featured in that documentary on the Juilliard School uh, yeah. that uh, I think was... Well, I saw it on PBS. I'm not sure if it was created originally for PBS, mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. that that is a really great. Marion Seldes, of course, is in it. Um, mm-hmm. Bradley uh, Whit- Whitford, Bradley? yeah, Bradley yeah. Whitford, yeah, yeah, uh, and and lots of you know a lot of other people who were associated with Juilliard, and and Jeffrey was chosen to represent the uh, I guess the people, you know, the the acting because Julia is not just acting it's also uh music and and uh you know it's et- and etc uh but he was chosen as one of the chief representatives of the acting area of it mm-hmm. um so he yeah he had well anyway he seemed to have a, a huge career ahead of him but then i'm not sure exactly what happened uh where he um because he, ha- as far as I know, he had not been active for for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know? yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have uh, some links to things, but we don't know really more information about what had happened. Yeah. But yeah. and then I on haven't...
3: the uh, on the other end of the uh, <laughs> of the age spectrum, at 93, um, Betty St. John, the original Liat in South Pacific has died uh and that was her major credit that everyone would know uh, our friend josh ellis pointed out it it's it's kind of cool to think that when sh- she w- was sitting there um at the majestic the majestic theater right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh having william tabard sing younger than springtime to her that was the first time anyone had heard the, the, that song, you know, and also happy mm-hmm. talk, which mm-hmm. she performed, uh, <laughs> not sang, but <laughs> did a little finger, <laughs> finger dance too. Uh, um, so yeah. Uh, uh, just wanted to recognize her passing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So that, uh, wraps it up for this morning. I wanted to also, uh, Ask Peter and Michael what are your plans for the summer? Your theatrical plans? You getting out of town? Uh, Michael, you heading up to P-town?
3: Yes, I, I've been going uh, in recent years. I've been going uh, the just before Labor Day, that week before, uh, because that's when Marilyn May has been performing out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like that time of year anyway, and and it's a bonus, a huge bonus that. That's when she's performing. So I'll be headed up there. That's my only uh, major trip that I have planned at the moment.
1: It's my time of year. Isn't that mm-hmm. how it goes? <laughs> and uh, Peter, you're heading out of town uh, a few different trips.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to Texas to see Stephen Cole and David Cranes go in Hollywood. Um, I'm big fans of theirs and um, certainly Goodspeed to see Summerstock and maybe even Niagara-on-the-Lake um, to s- – the, um, the Apple Cart, a uh, Judge Bernard Shaw play that has uh, escaped me in all these years, uh, and entirely possible to go back to the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival to see uh, Robert Cuccioli uh, play Prospero in The Tempest. Oh uh, yes, so those are those are possibilities, and um, and maybe more. We'll see.
1: All right. That's great. All right. So before we wrap up for today and do our trivia musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadervideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of this week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts View. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can get us early and, su- and support Broadway Radio's offerings by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Broadway radio and support us and get our podcasts early and have special access to all of our stuff. Um, we are can also be found on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. Oh, Stitcher's going away. So I have to change that. So <laughs> Stitcher is, um, Stitcher is transitioning to a different service. Uh, so, uh, contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia
2: Another opening, another show in Philly, Boston or Baltimore goes one of musical theater's most famous opening numbers, named the last Tony winning best musical to have respectively visited at least one of these tryout cities. Well, Moulin Rouge was in Boston in 2018, so that's reasonably recent, but you have to go back to 1974 to find a tryout that played Baltimore. And Philly, and ironically enough, it was the same show. It was The Wiz. Isn't it amazing that The Wiz not only played Baltimore and Philly, but Detroit, too, that it went to three tryout cities? And as somebody who was at that very, 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 very first performance in Baltimore, let me tell you, it was a mess. And I guess it needed every bit of those um, additional tryout performances to get itself um, ready for Broadway. Steve Bell was the first to get it, followed by Alex Lauer, J. Aubrey Jones. Josh Israel, Brigadude, Christine Chen, Sean Logan, Paul Whitty, and Robert Lobiondo, and Tony Janicki. Well, he was otherwise engaged on a cruise to Alaska, rubbing elbows with Seth Rudetsky and Hampton uh. Calloway, among others. <laughs> Maybe this week he'll be back in the fray. All right. This week's question: A well-regarded production of the 1960s recorded a Broadway revival cast album which filled a void but there was no original cast album for seven performers in this show it was not the first time they recorded a cast album what was the revival who were the seven you don't have to tell me what um sh- shows they had recorded previously I'll do that for you next week <laughs> but uh, let's at least hear the names of the actors Um and um the name of the revival cast album.
1: Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. Let you know if you're on the right track. So Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment?
3: Well, this recording was released uh, some time ago, but I was a little late. I only uh, got my hands on it recently. Barbara Streisand live at the Bonsoir. As many of our listeners know, uh, Barbara's, Recording debut on the Columbia label was to have been this live album, which was recorded in November 1962 at the Bonsoir, uh, a nightclub that was in Greenwich Village, but no longer exists. Um, And apparently uh, they were happy with when they all listened to the tapes, they were all happy with Barbara's performance, but not uh, completely happy with the technical quality. Of the recording, but of course, um since that time, technology has gotten to the point where they felt they were able to uh go back to the tapes and and remaster them and clean them up and and uh they this c d has finally been officially released, uh and everything sounds really great to me um uh several of these tracks had actually been released on barbara's F- just for the record compilation quite some years ago but uh this has about at least twice as many uh tracks as that uh so i I would i would urge you to pick it up and and uh not surprisingly uh because we're talking about november 1962 um many of the tracks are songs from musicals um so our opener uh is a song our our, our opening music today? Uh, a song which was not originally written for a musical, but it did end up in "Ain't Misbehavin'" years later because the song is uh, "Keeping Out of yeah, Mischief", Mischief yeah, yeah, by yeah, Fat Swaller. Yeah. And our closer is a beautiful uh, recording rendition of much more from the Fantastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, this again is a live recording from 1962. Barbara then, uh, not long after. Re-recorded it for a st- uh, studio album uh, that was issued by Columbia, and she has been on the Columbia label since the beginning, and 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 remains there. Uh, so that's an that's an amazing uh, record of mm-hmm. longevity uh, mm-hmm. for an artist on mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. you know a- in any respect, <laughs> and certainly on one level level. Um, I, I I think you will. Love this these live performances. If you haven't already stream, heard them, so give a listen.
1: All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter it's Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway.
0: Bye to bye. In a golden gown, and have my fortune told. Just once, just once, just once before I'm old, I'd like to be not evil, but a little To dance till two o'clock Or maybe dance till dawn Or if the band could stand it Just go on and on and on Just once, just once Before the chance is gone I'd like to waste a week or two And never do a chore Unfastened, so it belongs to the floor to do the things I've dreamed about, but never done before. Perhaps I'm bad or wild or mad with lots of grief in store.